0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned. and make profit in the event those securities rise in value we recommend to consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome everyone to the Planet Microcap podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. You're listening to episode 216. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate, review, plan a microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. Special thank you to our sponsors for today's episode, streamed by Alphasense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www streamrg.co backslash pmc that's s-t-r-e-a-m-r-g.co backslash pmc and quarter whose mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders visit your app store of choice to try it out and that's quarter q-u-a-r-t-r now before we get to all the announcements uh, if you follow me on twitter you see that we announced uh, we have a new index or new issue in the magazine um all that pales in comparison to what we've been seeing on the news uh for the last week with uh, russia's invasion of ukraine um it, it's uh, there's there's no words to really say it's absolute abomination um I, i've been just i haven't watched this much news in forever and um my wife and i have been watching it every night and it's just I just, our hearts, everything goes out to the people of Ukraine. We nothing but support. I, I'm trying to figure out what the best, um, what what the best. Uh, uh charities to donate to our uh, because we'd love to figure out a way in which we can we can uh, help out in any way we can not just from well from us here at snn but that we can also share so if you have any recommendations please just either shoot me a dm or shoot me a tweet um because we want to be able to help out using whatever platform uh, that we have here so um yeah it's just been a, it's been a weird week right uh so i just Yeah, it's on one hand, there's so much excitement for some of the things that we have going on here at SNN, but it's all humbling in the face of just the absolute terror that folks are experiencing on the other side of the world here. Um, So just uh, if, if you're at all affected by this, your family over there, just our hearts, everybody goes out to everyone. Even if you don't, it doesn't matter. We're just our, our thoughts and prayers are with the people of Ukraine, uh, with President Zelensky, and just um, we hope we're just we're just hoping some sort of resolution um, so that we can end, end the bloodshed. Um, <laughs> it's hard to, you know, now go from from that to some of the things that we have going on uh, on our show. But, you know, our, our, we do have some things going on here at SNN, uh, as you guys saw we announced our, uh, our our index, the MicroCap Review Index. I'll have more information about that in, in next week's uh, podcast, uh, probably in, in the intro, um, just gives a little bit more background. I'll be doing some interviews as well uh, around it, um, but we're very excited about it. We hope that you enjoy. Go check it out at snn.network backslash index. Uh, there you'll be able to see the index as well as uh, uh, some of the key criteria that goes into that. Um, And we also announced our first issue of the MicroCap Review in about, I think it was about 15 months, 18 months. So you can go and read that on uh, both Script Issue, SNN.network, as well as the magazine website, which is microcapreview.com. So uh, we're very excited about all of that. And please go and check all of that content out. We're also excited to host our first in-person event in nearly three years. The Planet Microcap Showcase is back in Las Vegas on May 3rd through the 5th, 2022 at Bally's Hotel and Casino. It's time to see each other. It's time to network in person. Let's make it all happen in the entertainment and business capital of the world. For more information, please go to www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. Now, for this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Joe Coster. He's the founder of surface Investments, LLC. Uh, we had met at one of the Microcap virtual networking events. I believe it was the Microcap Leadership Summit. Thank you, Ian and Mike. And then reintroduced by Mike Pruitt. Uh, thank you, Mike who Joe worked with uh, for a number of years. Joe is also editor of the finance newsletter Value Investing World. And with the recent flock to value, I I wanted to get his perspective on why, as well as other trends and observations he's been noticing uh, within value investing circles. We also attempt to convey these current events using a golf metaphor. Emphasis on the word attempt. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 216 of the Planet Microcap podcast. I apologize for the longer than normal intros. I know I do long intros anyway, uh, but this one, uh, I, it's, there's a lot going on in the world. So um, uh, again, thank you for listening and please enjoy my conversation with Joe Coster. This episode is brought to you by Stream by Sets. streamrg.co backslash pmc that's s t r e a m r g.co backslash pmc welcome back everybody to the planet microcap podcast i'm your host robert craft you can follow me on twitter at bobby k craft that's b o b b y k k r a f t and joining me today is joe coster He is the founder of Surface Investments, LLC. I've been following Joe for a long time. I think the first time we met was at one of the virtual uh, uh, cocktail events in the last couple of years. That's a long time for me when I say uh, we've been following (laughs) each other for a long time because it feels like an attorney. But anyways, enough of my rambling. Joe, it's great to have you on the show today. How are you doing?
1: Good. Thanks for having me, Bobby.
0: It's great to have you. So uh, for those that may not... uh, follow your blog, Value Investing World, or uh, I've seen you on Twitter or anything like that, you know, where did your passion for investing begin?
1: So it really came from having a great professor in college. So, you know, I, from Ohio, I came down originally to Coastal Carolina University as a uh, golf management major. So basically was to, to teach you, you know, both to get like your, you know, golf pro type credentials, as well as give you a business degree. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough, my sophomore year, you know, I mean, Myrtle Beach sounded a pretty good place to go for college if you want to play some golf in your spare time. Um, so, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to do an internship at Pebble Beach my soft, after my sophomore year, So, uh, which was great, a lot of fun, but it also made me realize I liked golfing and being a lot more than I like being in the golf business. So. Uh, you know, when I came back, I was kind of looking for for something to do and something new, and uh, I just had a professor who, you know, taught not just investing but introduced Buffett. He had, you know, one of the essential Buffett the Hagstrom books is sort of his class material, and um, so yeah, so that that was really what where I got interested in investing and and found the the value investing community specifically.
0: What, what was your What was your professor's name? Come on, let's give him a shout out.
1: Yeah, Dr. Boyles, Dr. Jerry Boyles. Uh, he's since retired a number of years ago. But uh but yeah, I was very lucky to you know, just happen to have him show up on my my class schedule and and uh yeah he, he was a mentor. Yeah.
0: first money in for surface too. I would no, I'm just I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding.
1: But so we did no, we did name it, you know, so before surface, I was working in a fund management company with a partner who we were friends in, in college, worked together right after school too for, for a mutual friend of ours, and um, so we actually did name the firm Boyle's Asset Management after Dr. Boyle's because uh, he had that big influence on our life, not just getting us into investing, but he was just and is just an all around great great person.
0: Awesome. So when, when you're, you know, from that class and, and his influence, so you mentioned that you, you had started another fund, but did you just get into investing right away, you know, opening your own PA and then from there, what, what was your thought process? Did you think that you'd, you know, one day be able to run your own fund or you're like, all right, I need to get my feet wet, go work at a, maybe a couple you know, different funds or institutions first.
1: Yeah. So bringing back to, so obviously Mike Pruitt, who we both know, um, actually had dr. Boyles in class as well in the early 80s and so he was looking to start a new company and he came back to coastal looking for a couple of analysts and so uh, you know on dr. Boyle's recommendations he hired me and, and Matt Miller um, who we graduated together and so we went to work for Mike and you know we you know we wanted to do the whole Buffett partnership you know we wanted our fun you know just wanted to follow that path and Probably rightfully so. Mike said, Well, why don't you learn a little <laughs> a little more first? And so we were analysts for him on private deals. And then um, you know, he was he sent us around to people. You know, his his background wasn't in, you know, investing and in portfolio management, but he had a lot of contacts. So he sent us around both to meet with people, sent us to value investing congress, things like that. Um, you know, for about a year and a half, just we I mean, went to Berkshire and everything else just to learn. And then a year and a half in, we decided to launch kind of just a friends and family partnership modeled after the Buffett partnerships. Um,
0: yeah. Very cool. so shout out to Mike. Mike, thank you. Um and so you got to tell me about that first experience going to Omaha. That must have been that must have been kind of blew just blew your mind, right? I mean, here you go. Like this is the 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 land of the value investing nerds, everybody, everybody that you could possibly want to meet. So what was that like?
1: It was good. And actually, I went to Wesco to see Munger the year before I went to Omaha. So I went to Wesco in 06, Omaha in 07. And I think both two of my best friends today are still people I met at that Wesco in 2006 and Omaha in, in 2007. So I mean, especially if anybody has never gone, like I highly recommend you just, you know, getting yourself into those situations where you can meet like-minded people and, you know, potentially have friends. You can be you know, people you can be friends with forever, you can meet. So, so yeah, I mean, it was fun and it was, yeah. I mean, it just totally opened your eyes to, uh, you know, especially when you're young and you don't really even know how money management firms work or, you know, how to build portfolios. So just to run into a bunch of people and, uh, you know, I, I don't think it was, it was, I think it might've been 08, but, you know, Chris Bloomstrand who was on your show, him and I met in Omaha and we've been, great friends ever since and as well so he was a year after so um yeah probably you know a third of the people I talk to on a regular basis I um got to meet while I was in, in Omaha so that's awesome yeah, if you haven't gone out there anybody definitely should are you, go
0: are you going this year
1: yeah I'll be there
0: nice You come to Vegas right after I think we're the week the Tuesday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday right after
1: Ah, nice are you going this year
0: uh, no, I'm Vegas. I, I, we have our we have our Get investor event in Vegas, so I'm gonna be you know trying to sleep, not panic, you know, all all the above. You know, ten mass. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, well, you, you should be used
1: to not sleeping. You had a, had a baby a month ago, right? <laughs> that's
0: that's a different type of anxiety and panic. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So so Joe, all right. So catch us up. You know, you, you went to work with Mike for for a number of years. Uh, you boils at uh, boils investment management. You know, so what then led to your launching of surface and and basically the structure you have going on there?
1: Yeah. So we were looking when we were working. For Mike at Chanticleer Holdings was the name, Um, you know, kind of our passion was for the public investment management, but it was really a lot of the private stuff that was becoming the main part of the business. So we were kind of trying to figure out what to do with this little friends and family partnership we had, which was sort of what Matt and I wanted to do. So, um, you know, we were approached by an institutional investor who offered to basically give us a seed investment, which is how we launched Boils. Um, so, so that's why you know we came an agreement with Mike just to to separate um, so that Boils would be sort of a separate entity. Um, so we did that for five years, and uh, of course, they were still the institutional seed investor was the majority of our our capital. And after five years, they decided they wanted their money back. So uh, when your big investor wants their money back, that's sort of makes you rethink uh, a little bit what you're doing. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, so that was in 2018. So, uh, you know, I spent a good part of 2018 trying to figure out what to do and what I really wanted to do was get into the registered invi- investment advisor space. Um, you know, I really liked working with individuals and we really couldn't do that. You know, if you're you want to manage your uncle's complete retirement account, because he wants one financial advisor, I'm, you know, Not going to recommend he put it into our 10 stock micro cap fund that we were managing at the time so so i really want to get in the ria space and sort of but you know i hadn't really been there much and it's almost a different business completely from from fund management um so i looked around just trying to decide do i join somebody or start my own and uh, ultimately decided you know i was kind of in between but it was you know, it's sort of hard when you mid career looking to do something next. So I didn't have the experience in the REA space. So a lot of the jobs people wanted were people who were already financial planners, which I was not, or the entry level things. Um, but you know, people didn't want somebody kind of they wanted someone they could start out of school and sort of train. Uh, you know, not someone who was sort of mid career at that point. So, so and then especially at the end of I was thinking hard about at the end of 2018, early 2019 you know, markets got a little more volatile. Suddenly I had stocks I thought were pretty cheap. Um, so I decided, well, you know, and I was lucky at the time our child wasn't born yet. My wife was working, so I sort of, I knew it was gonna take a couple few years before, you know, we sort of get could get to scale. Um, but I just decided to, you know, go ahead and, and get started and, you know, sort of save three quotes on my phone that I just kept reading every day to sort of give me that motivation to, go out and try it and yeah and here we are what
0: were the three quotes
1: yes yeah, so they are well, actually they're still on my phone I like <laughs> it so the one was Peter Kaufman um, more important than a will to win is the courage to begin um, the other one was Lou Brock the baseball player yep which I, I think also came from Peter Kaufman this quote was a uh, show me a guy who's afraid to look bad and I'll uh, and I'll show you a guy you can beat every time. And the other one was Buffett, you know, I think this was in a, maybe Charlie Rose interview a number of years ago. He said, don't fear failure, don't let it eat at you, don't look back, just keep going. You're going to have some things, but forget them, go forward. So there was just kind of this, at some point, you know, the whole kind of the man in the arena, arena type philosophy, you got to get out there and just try. And so I went in there and did.
0: Nice. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. I'd like to take a quick second to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Quarter. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world, straight from your pocket for no cost. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. The first step on this journey is to let you, the user, interact with the company's content while you're listening. Visit your app store of choice and try it out today by searching for quarter. And that's Q-U-A-R-T-R. Now back to the show. So you mentioned also that, um, you know, obviously I, I've known Mike forever. Uh, Claire, for full disclosure, they actually presented at one of our events, I think in like 2015. Um, so uh, they were they were microcap. So was that your initial exposure to microcap is is, is through Mike or did, had you come to microcap outside of that?
1: Yeah, we had started. It was through Mike. So it was originally we had started the partnership to sort of have the flexibility to do everything, um, and then we really realized both with our experience it's a lot easier to understand small companies, but it's also. Um you know, just a niche that, you know, for all the reasons people talk about on your show all the time, that uh, if you really can do the work and the due diligence and the groundwork, you can understand these businesses better than other people can. Um, So we just basically decided to totally switch and be only micro cap. So our fund in the beginning, we were a little bit of both, but then we just switched where we only focused on micro cap. Um, And then sort of when we moved into boils, we, Mostly focused on microcap too, but uh, so yeah, both U.S. and international. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. So you know, I want, before we get into you know your whole investing philosophy and the your ideal investment, like I'm going to ask you about that. I wanted to cover one topic because. You know, you are the editor of Value Investing World, um, and in that newsletter, you highlight links, a lot, a lot of different information that's going on within value investing circles and interviews, stuff like that. You know, so I wanted to ask you, what have been some some of the fascinating trends and observations in value investing right now? I, one last thing before you even answer that is, you know, there has been this um, flock to value. You know, growth has just gotten killed. I mean, microcaps have gotten killed too. But but um, uh, growth has just gotten killed in the last little bit here. So uh, love to hear your thoughts there about some trends and observations.
1: Yeah, well, the biggest trend was why it took so long, uh, as you're probably well aware. I mean, it was, uh, you know, for really from 2009 was a great time. There were just cheap things everywhere. Then sort of from 2010 and until this past year, it was sort of, relative performance was not in the great direction if you were were a value investor and uh, and I you know I should define value that's that's sort of using more of the factor value I mean, obviously I'm, my general de- definition is what you know munger likes to use you know all investing is value investing you're just trying to acquire less than you're paying for so but you know a lot of people like us and how I you know came into the investing business was you know, just trying to find a lot of stuff below book or stuff that, you know, single digit multiples of earnings, which, you know, one of our bigger positions back in the day was a company in the UK that, you know, I think it was growing nicely. We bought it at, you know, nine times earnings, great company kept growing low double digits a year and, you know, five years in it's at six times earnings, So, you know, we're down by a third on the multiple and we've just, you know, basically gone nowhere because even though the business is growing, the multiples kept coming down. Um, so, you know, I think there was a lot of us who, you know, even in companies, not the high growth, but decent growth and we're doing what we expected, but stocks were going nowhere. Um, so, so yeah. So, you know, I think the move to so-called, you know, value growth factors are, it's kind of si- cyclical and it's, Certainly, uh, I think what we've seen since 2020 is the speculative bit uh, has you know that really got into the markets and got a whole lot of people interested in the markets. Um, you know, if there was whether it was a growing company or non-growing company, uh, it really didn't matter. There was no valuation work or anything being done. It was uh, you know what's popular and things were just bought uh, regardless of the fundamentals. So. I think maybe a little more than saying value versus growth uh, move we've seen lately is probably a little more move back to fundamentals mattering a little bit more.
0: I mean, is it, it, is there some macro reasons for this? I mean, there's lots of, you know, things flowing out there uh, because of with inflation and potential Fed, uh, the uh, Fed hike, uh, the Fed hike, uh, rates happening, you know, like it, it, does all that have something to do with that from a general perspective, or is it a bit more uh, convoluted than that?
1: Yeah, I mean, that might have something to do with it, but it's also, I think, a little more just human nature. Um, yeah, you know, as Ben Grant said when he was testifying back in whatever it was, the '50s or something. Um, you know, why do stocks go up and down? Why does it happen? Why does value eventually get realized? Well, nobody really knows. Eventually, it just does. So sometimes there are events that trigger that, but sometimes it's well, you know, things can only go tree, you know, trees can only grow so high, you know, not to the sky. And I think we've just sort of seen some of that finally start to matter.
0: Yeah, but I mean for in this in this time period where we're at right now, I mean, was there something that triggered it that that you could kind of look to or I, I don't know. It it seems like it kind of happened overnight, but there are some things out there that could potentially explain this kind of going back to fundamentals.
1: Well, I think certainly you could say interest rates and the inflation is worrying people and they're starting to care more about, uh, you know, actually getting cash returned from their, their money. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, is that really the catalyst or not? I don't know. I think it's too hard to really predict, uh, even in hindsight, these things are hard, harder to predict, but you know what was really the big catalyst in 2000? It's still hard to say. It just sort of eventually got to a point where people stopped paying crazy prices for things and started buying the things that look cheap. So,
0: got it. All right, man. Well, so this all then leads into your your investing philosophy. I think we can all assume that there's some uh, value investing uh, aspects to it. Um, focus on the fundamentals. So uh, everybody has their own way of, of doing it and, and skinning the cat. So what what's, what? how, how do you think about investing? What, what's your philosophy there?
1: Yeah. So we do three very different things. So, you know, I used to, we just ran a concentrated micro cap strategy back in the day. And so since I've started Surface, you know, I wanted to be able both to use my knowledge as well as, um, but I continue to learn to help more people. And so, you know, I think the longer I'm in this, the investing business, the more I realize opposites are often true. It just depends on the person. So sometimes concentration is better for people. Sometimes diversification is better. You know, sometimes bottom up is better thing to look at sometimes top down matters more. So it really just depends on circumstances. So, so we go, we have three strategies basically. And, now the first one is probably the one we've talked about a little bit which is you know I'm just a focused concentrated strategy you know kind of trying to find 6 to 12 best ideas that's really something that's better for someone who would who wants to use us for a small part of their overall portfolio where you know they want something to diversify their big picture portfolio. But for us, it's gonna be a part that looks totally different from anything else they probably have in their portfolio. Um, so then the second strategy, you know, is kind of what we call the diversified strategy. Um, I guess, well, let's see, the best way to describe this would be, well, we can do a little thought experiment with you, Bobby. So let's say you have uh, a relative-
0: You're gonna make me think, I gotta actually think now, this is not good.
1: That's right. So because this (laughs) seems so different from the other strategy, it's easier to explain why we use it. So let's say you have a relative that comes to you um, that you really care for that. Let's say she's in her early sixties. She's had a long career. She's about to retire. Her husband's about to do the same. They have all their investable assets in their two, four, one ks. They've received this nice cash bonus, when they retired. So they're going to have this account that's going to be taxable. And these loving relatives of yours come to you and say, Bobby, what should I do with my money? And Bobby, am I going to have enough money to travel and do the things that we want to do in retirement? Where do you send them?
0: Oh, they should get into the riskiest possible microcaps. caps. They, they should, you know, like not, a, you know, pre-revenue biotechs, uh, I think that would probably make the most, sense. I'm, I'm kidding, of course, exactly. but, but yeah, but the opposite of what I just said.
1: Yeah. But, um, do you specifically send them to somewhere you say, go to ex friend or I don't know, ex company.
0: I mean, uh, usually in those cases, you know, you want to, you, you want to send them where, you know, it's someplace that they have safe, but they'll be able to have enough cash to do everything that they want to do while also continuing to, to just fund all that, you know, just right. it's, it's safe, safe as safe can save no risk.
1: Yeah. So, but they're going to lose to inflation. So like, okay. Right. So a lot of it is saying how much risk do you want to take? And so it's kind of what we're trying to, what I'm trying to do with the diversified strategy was I had people like this both in mind and also some people I knew who I really couldn't help before, but Like you, I wanted to say, you know, I didn't really have a, you know, I didn't want to send them to, all right, you know, go down find your local Merrill Lynch office, you know, people that maybe aren't independent. There's plenty of good financial advisors out there, but um, so I just wanted to sort of create that. So that's sort of what the diversified strategy is, It's, you know, again, for some people in the example I used, um, in that situation, maybe they can manage it all their own, you know, if they're the kind of people that read the wall street journal every day, um, read a few investing books a year, you know, they can probably open an account at Vanguard or Schwab or wherever and handle things on their own, diversify. Um, you know, but what I've found is there are a lot of people happy to hire someone to do it for them. They want to live life. They want to enjoy life. They don't want to have to worry about the ups and downs of the market. Um, they want someone who's going to actively manage, you know, they're taxable accounts. So when there's big drawdowns, you know, you can make the move to save them thousands or tens of thousands in taxes. Um, if they have a financial question, they want somebody they can call who knows them, who they know. They don't want to have to call an 800 number or something to talk to somebody. Um, so for those kind of people or for people, you know, early in their careers or mid careers who, you know, just want to diversify widely, but don't want to do it on their own, uh, you know, then that's kind of what the diversify strategy is for. We're trying to be that sort of one-stop shop of someone, hey, you know, you want, you know, it's, we're going to work with you. We're going to go over your income, your assets, see what you want to do in life and say, yes, you want to travel. You got, you're fine. Go travel. You got plenty of money. We'll handle the ups and downs or, you know, the things you want to do in retirement, you know, you're going to have to make trade-offs for what, you know, your total income is. And so, so that's sort of what, you know, it's almost more of a service than a, I guess, a product or a strategy. It's a strategy, but it's really a service you're providing for people. And so, yeah, that's kind of what we wanted to create with the diversified strategy. So uh, so that's that strategy. And then the third strategy was is one we just launched, which is, um, it really was a client came to me and said, you know, I I kind of want... A bunch of equity exposure, but something that looks different from the indexes. But I want to be very diversified because I'm going to be giving away money, you know, between three and ten years from now. So, um, but I want to have something where there's going to be a lot of winners and maybe some losers too, so that you know, if there's losers, we can take the tax losses, but the winners will make up potentially, and then I can use those big gains to give make those my charitable gifts. And then you know be very tax efficient with the way I'm gonna give away my money. So it was basically created as a way to you know create diversification that looks different from the indexes for people that want that, as well as for the specific reason where it also can make it um a good strategy for people who have like this three to 10 year time frame of giving money away. And so so that's really a kind of what will be. We just launched, so it'll be like a 50 to 100, maybe even as much as 200 stock portfolio, where it's really more of a coffee can type approach, where say, unlike the concentrated strategy, where I'm really doing a lot of work on companies, or diversified, where we're just diversifying widely, extremely widely, this will be, um, you know, basically, we're trying to build a database where, you know, we have you're the same way, we follow a lot of great investors, we love the thesis, maybe we can do some work on it, but it's not, you know, it's not sort of something we're going to, you know spend months digging into so it's a way to you know improve the buying on the front end and then just kind of holding so it's sort of that trying to buy right and hold on as i said kind of that coffee can approach to, to building an equity portfolio for people with certain needs
0: so so i want to i want to focus in on the the concentrated strategy um, Within that, because obviously look, that takes a lot more work. That that's where everybody I think listening, we find the the nice little nuggets to understand, you know, your your thought process and your thinking when you're looking at an ideal investment. So what's some of your criteria for the concentrated portfolio or that that strategy?
1: I mean, the main thing is downside first. So I mean, for me, there's it's really four things. So it's one, I want downside. So that can come. things it can either come from asset values or it can come from competitive advantages so you know i want you know if you have a good business with big competitive advantages the price you pay isn't going to matter as much if you can hold it for a long time uh, compared to when you have something that does not have competitive advantage so i want downside either asset values or competitive advantage Um, then the second part is really the business quality so this is both you know, judging how good of a business it is, you know, does it earn high returns on capital? And more importantly, you know, where's that money being reinvested? So it's really a business quality analysis, which, um, you know, sort of helps determine exactly how much you want to pay for it. But uh, get, and I'm, you know, some people only buy good businesses, um, but you know, there's a price for everything. So, uh, so, but it's more about trying to determine, you know, are the competitive edges is real? Are they durable? Um, you know, the third part is the management, um, just, are these people you want to be partners with, uh, you know, life's usually too short to partner with bad management teams. Um, um then the last one is this price. I mean, almost everything's a good deal at one price and a bad deal at another. And, uh, you know, I'm willing to have lesser quality businesses or, you know, even management team that or okay, uh, you know, the price is right. So it's really just those things, downside first and then business quality management and price are just sort of the things we're trying to, you know, to learn about, to create some big picture narrative for for when to invest. But.
0: Gotcha. So as part of that research process, when you're digging in uh, to, to a potential new idea, tell us a little bit about, you know, what, uh, how do you evaluate management you know, what are, what are some things you look for? Do you like to speak with management? I mean, just that alone, some, some folks, they, they'll say that management is important to them, but especially, even in microcaps, they'll say management's important, but I don't even want to talk to them, which is, I find kind of interesting, but a strategy that can work nonetheless, but what, how do you think about
1: it? Yeah. I mean, I think kind of like we were talking about earlier, where the longer I'm in this business, the more I think it depends. <laughs> almost every answer has, or almost every question has opposite answers that are right in some situations. So in some cases, yes, but I mean, especially smaller companies, um, making man- talking to management can make all the difference, and, and really even more than talking to management, because um, you know the reason people don't talk to them is because they, can, you know, they're good at selling their business. They can be promotional, and I think that's totally true, especially. You know, I mean, I'm sure I still do it, but especially when I'm younger, got fooled plenty of times by a great management team that told a great story, and and you know, well. Well, that, I mean, that's definitely a lesson for all the young investors out there. I think to some extent, when you, you first get into this business, it's almost dangerous to talk to management or to read investment write-ups because if you read too many without having sort of this experience to filter things through, everything sounds good. I mean, so, so depending on the business and how much I need to know, I mean, sometimes you just really, I mean, the key is if a business is profitable, of course. How that company reinvests that capital makes is going to you know make your return over five to ten years, and so you really need to understand, are they just throwing money and stuff to grow, or do they actually have a well thought out process? So, um, but some companies you don't need that, especially bigger ones. You basically can get everything you know, or you know, from just reading the files, reading the transcripts, and things like that. So sometimes, yes, I, I mean the best things I think I've found over time are. It's not easy, especially when it's smaller companies to find employees or former employees. Um, or if there's a long-term shareholder who's owned the shares for a long time. I mean, if you can find that person, you usually can understand the business pretty quickly with just making, you know, one phone call by talking to somebody like that. So um, so yeah, so the big picture on the management is sometimes yes, sometimes no, but it's a lot of times, you know, people who know the company. Uh, whether it's a long time shareholder or an employee, can be even more valuable because they'll just be more honest with you.
0: Very cool. Do you have any? Do you have any tales from the crypt? You know, uh, some 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 fun lessons in microcap land. I mean, you know, you don't have to name the company. I'm not asking you to, but like, I'm sure as you've been you've clearly been around for a while, and you you know you've come in, you've been around some of the same circles as me. So you must have a couple funky funny, hairy ones out there?
1: Well, what I'll tell you is, without naming specific names, but there's one company where it sounded great. There were some smart people invested in it, but um, all you had to do was speak to mid-level employees, mid-level management. You knew right away the company was not what it seemed. Um, I mean, somebody came in and, and bought it and overpaid for it by quite a bit. And so... And I, they never talked to any of those mid-level <laughs> management team people. Or if they would have, I mean, they would have saved, I mean, probably a couple hundred million dollars almost given the buyout price. But, uh, but so, I mean, that's the thing is, it, you know, it does surprise me of even, you know, even uh, bigger companies who have a lot of money. Often don't necessarily do the deal diligence that needs to be done. Um, again, sometimes you still get bailed out of your shareholders. Someone will come in and buy them and overpay, especially with all the capital out there now. But, but yeah, if you find the right person, sometimes you can know and right away, if, you know what's actually going on in the business. But yeah, yeah.
0: What What would you say is an investing experience that changed your career and your mindset the most?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was. I would say really. Coming out of school, there were probably two things, you know, Buffett and Munger. They like to talk about finding the right heroes in life. And they certainly became two of mine when I, you know, first started learning about Buffett and, you know, read every shareholder letter. It's one of the first things I did, um, you know, from start to finish. Started with back then. It started in the 70s because I didn't have the partnership letters back then. I just read everyone in a row, just one a day. I mean, that totally changed my outlook on investing in business. And then, of course, getting into Buffett got me into Munger. And that was probably the, you know, Munger's idea of worldly wisdom and um, trying to become a multidisciplinary person is really probably the thing that had the biggest influence on my life. I mean, you know, there's that saying, the frog in the, in the well knows nothing of the mighty ocean, um, so it's like he really learning about him just i wanted to know about the ocean you know i wanted uh to find that knowledge that just gave me a different perspective on life i mean if you learn the basics of you know evolutionary biology you're going to have a different outlook on the world if you learn the basics of psychology and misjudgment and how easy uh, it can be to fool people and fool yourself especially um you know you'll have different approach to how you handle things. Um, You know, if you learn just how big and vast the universe is and, you know, how we're just sort of this tiny speck, you know, suspended in a sunbeam to paraphrase Carl Sagan, you know, that changes your outlook on the world. So it's just amazing and almost inspiring that sitting and reading, you know, one book can kind of change your life and change your outlook on life. And um, you know, that, that all started just from, you know, basically Munger's worldly wisdom. And, you know, of course, thanks to Peter Kaufman for putting poor Charlie's almanac together. Uh, Cause he, you know, in, in Munger's speeches and wisdom, he has all those sidebars that pretty much just lead you to where you need to go to learn about all these things. And so, so yeah, that, that was the biggest influence on me for sure.
0: Very cool. So, you know, you said at the beginning that you're, you know, you're big, you're a golf guy, golf. I, I, I'm assuming that's still your sport, right?
1: I mean, yeah, I ha- haven't played much since having first child uh, <laughs> last year, but yeah.
0: Okay, that happens, you
1: know. <laughs> know.
0: Just wait until you have more uh, from there. Eh? There you go. You really, you really will. Yeah. But anyways, I want, I want to do a little little comparison time. Let's have some fun with this. You know, I follow – I mean, I, I'm, I'm not here to say that I'm like, uh, you know, Joe House and following, you know, with fairway Roland or anything like that. But I, 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 I follow – I've listened to them enough to follow a little bit, but, you know, from what, what would you say that what time period are we in right now in value investing, if you had to use a golf analogy?
1: Well, I think it in regards to the cycle, we've, you know, it's been going pretty long. So uh, maybe not just value investing, but the whole upward move of this bull market. Again, we've had volatility this year, but we're still, as far as overall valuations, um, in the overall market, and it's, you know, it's pretty widespread, obviously, a lot of those tech names, you know, were leading the way until the past year, but, um, you know, everything's been pretty extended, of course, a lot of that's driven by central bank support, and then obviously since 2020, unprecedented central bank and fiscal support. So, uh, given the length of, of the cycle, you know, we're probably late in the game, on, you know, on the seventh playoff hole. Still opportunities if you can find the fairway. But, uh, but yeah, you need to be careful out there.
0: Very good. All right. I, I think that's a pretty good place to end it. So uh, for more information, where can our audience go and find more information on you, follow you on social, as well as uh, uh, Sorfus?
1: Yep. So the Sorfus website is surfus.com You can find my contact information there. Uh, you know, the newsletter is valueinvestingworld.substack.com. And I'm uh, at JT costa on Twitter. Pretty much that, that gives you all you need. To, you need to find me. Very cool. All
0: right, man. Well, listen, thank you so much for doing this with me today and, and the conversation. So uh good luck, stay safe. And I look forward to our next chat. Thanks.
1: You too, Bobby. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. podcast.